Welcome to The Daily Evolver. Today, we're going to focus on something fun, on, on some good pop culture, and specifically on a work of art that has been very culturally significant over the last 40 years, and which continues to be created. And I love that about this. And that, and that of course, I'm talking about the, the Star Wars juggernaut, this as they say in Wikipedia, an American epic space opera media franchise that has uh, created currently eight movies and uh, innumerable books and spinoffs and has generated something over $40 billion in uh, revenues. So it's an interesting cultural phenomena. And I have to say, I've never been a big fan of uh, Star Wars. I've been a dutiful viewer, you know, I, I would go see them anthropologically uh, and just see what was going on because they were so popular. Uh, I sort of liked the first ones. I was, you know, I think 23 when they came out in 1977, and that was that original movie with uh, Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill and, and, um, and Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia with the hair and all of that good stuff. And, um, and then I sort of got lost and I'd still go, but I'd be confused and I'd literally fall asleep. And, but I got to say that I got uh, turned on by this latest Star Wars movie, which is currently in theaters. It's called The Last Jedi. Uh, it's uh, probably near the trailing edge of its theatrical release, but that means it will soon be on streaming. So check it out uh, if you like this sort of thing. And I, I have to say, as I, I, I did love it. I mean, part of it was the nostalgia factor. It's like Luke Skywalker's back and he's old and like I'm old and, you know, you can see it and I get it. And Carrie Fisher is back as not Princess Leah now, but she is General Leah Organa, and she is commanding the army. And it's fun. And there's this three terrific new leads, including this really magnetic female lead that I want to talk about. And, um, you know, it's unspooling this big myth over, it, it will be nine movies, and uh, it's currently at number eight. And I think one of the reasons that I got into it beyond the nostalgia, and I actually got into the story, I cared about it, I cared about the new characters, uh, is that I have a couple really smart friends who are Star Wars fanatics, and they explain to me uh, you know, the deeper meanings, the sort of bigger picture of uh, Star Wars and really helped me get my head and heart around it. And I have convened for you today my two main Star Wars advisors, uh, and, and I hope they could help us all more deeply appreciate this Star Wars juggernaut. So first, <laughs> somebody who's often joins us on the Daily Evolver, and that's Brother Corey DeVos, the Editor-in-Chief of Integral Life. Hey, Brother Corey. Hey, my man. How you doing? Uh, super stoked for the show. Yeah, good to, good to have you here. And our special guest is Cindy Wigglesworth. Hey. And Cindy is a dear old friend of mine and Corey's. Uh, she's been <laughs> part of the integral scene for uh, many years and is a significant innovator in the integral space. She has, her main contribution is in expanding our understanding of the spiritual line of, of development. It's been very helpful to me and to a lot of people. Uh, 
She is the creator of the SQ21, a spiritual intelligence self-assessment, as well as author of the book SQ21, The 21 Skills of Spiritual Intelligence, which are both uh, great contributions. But today, Cindy, you're here in your role as Star Wars enthusiast, fanatic, fan. Yeah, we can say that. <laughs> All uh, of the above. Hey, how you doing? Yoda. Uh, there you go. There's Yoda. Cindy, when you when you stood up like that, it reminded me of the opening crawl. Oh, so you go more slowly. Yeah, exactly. Doing that. <laughs> it does. Yes, that's one of the sort of uh, trademarks of the of the movies that they all start with this crawl of letters that sort of set the stage and the story. Yeah. And so. I, I want to talk to both of you, of course, and I, and I want to um, get into some of the cultural significance and so forth of the Star Wars movies. But first, I'd just like to hear, you know, what lights you up about this and, um, and particularly the new movie? And I'll start with you, Cindy. What, what gets you going about this? What, what do you see there that really, you know, really moves you? I'm sort of a person who has, for my whole life, uh, been searching for hope that humanity is not endlessly doomed to succumb to our own stupidity, and therefore also seeking wisdom. And for me, great storytelling taps the collective unconscious and can envision our future in ways that maybe consciously we haven't envisioned it yet, but it can intuit and even be the leading edge of where it is we're going. And so when stories are really powerful and really good, I think they're doing that. And I think from the beginning, the Star Wars franchise tapped into a very Jungian type of collective unconscious that articulated for us not only who we are, but where we might have the potential to go. And from an evolutionary perspective, I found that magnetic. The character of Yoda and the whole concept of the Jedi and the idea of self-development and being connected with all that is, is a very spiritual sort of wisdom path. Yeah, and this is the also, force. I'm sorry? This is the force. Through the force, yeah. The yeah, force, the, which is the energy. May the force be with you. And, 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 there, and, and that is sort of, a, what is it? It, it lights, it's the connective tissue, of the, it's, it's the living intelligence of the universe. It's what? Yes, that's a good way of saying it. It is the energy that is inside of all things and connects all things and without which there is nothing. Uh, how'd I do, Corey? Is that an adequate? I, I, I think you nailed it. Okay. <laughs> so uh, one of the things in the new movie that was interesting was corrections that Luke makes to other people's attempts to understand or explain the force. And it's not something that Jedis have. It's something that exists everywhere, in everyone, in everything, including inanimate objects, so-called so inanimate objects. So it's a powerful concept of eros or spirit alive in everything. And can we be a little bit less narcissistic and drop our boundaries to connect with something larger than ourselves? Yeah, that's beautiful and, and is quite inspiring. And it makes me think of something you told me, Corey, that I didn't realize you're younger. So you were a little kid when this all started. Yep. And for you, you said it was actually a spiritual path. 
Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was certainly you know had sort of the qualities of a religion as I as I was growing up. I mean, I was so immersed in the Star Wars mythology. So I was born in 1977 when the first movie came out. Okay. And my first memory of actually, and one of the reasons why it's so personal to me is my first memory of actually going to a, a any movie was seeing Return to the Jedi with my stepdad. And, uh, and, and that was a huge, you know, I, I actually remember it vividly. I, I dressed up that Halloween as one of the, the pig faced guards from Jabba's palace. And, you know, I was, I was just in love with it. And it was, you know, it came at a very poignant time because it was, you know, it was, uh, very connecting for me and my stepdad at a very sort of pivotal time in our emerging relationship. So I've got, you know, uh, a, a little bit of extra heart in there, um, but yeah, for, for me, you know, growing up sort of in the Star Wars uh, mythos was, it makes it, makes it interesting to talk about today. Because I think, you know, to a certain extent for you guys who were, you know, a bit older than me when these movies came out, you know, I, I, as is true with any piece of art, you sort of, you know, the first thing you do is you make object into subject, Right. So you, you have this wonderful experience. You see this franchise and and you sort of project yourself into it in a certain sense. When you're seeing it as a little kid, you, you sort of skip that step and it all feels like it's coming from within. So in, in a certain way, having this conversation, I'm making subject object mm. um, in, a, in a certain kind of way. And I think what really turned me on uh, about Star Wars was, you know, Cindy mentioned uh, the force. The force was huge and it was sort of. Um, it, it was a perfect fit. So sort of an, an emerging childhood spirituality in a certain sense. Mm -hmm. And it came with sort of its own kind of built in kind of, uh, I guess, sort of mechanisms that actually helped you uh, navigate through sort of the shadows of what you can do with power, what you can do with, you know, something like a force and actually sort of guided you onto, you know, a, a more conscious, more aware, more compassionate path. Would you, say, would you say, Corey, and, and I'd actually ask you too, Cindy, is the force impersonal, personal, both? I think it's both. I think it's both. And I think that uh, there's a lot of canon that sort of represents that. So, you know, one of the things is that in the early movies, they were talking about a particular kind of force. And then I think it's in the, or I think it was in Force Awakenings. They then mentioned the living force uh, in some of the Star Wars and like the Clone Wars. They, they, they play with different kinds of force. So it seems like force, you know, the force has a, a sort of a spectrum to it in a certain kind of way. Mm -hmm. But as a little kid, when you're learning about the force, you know, the first thing a little kid wants to do with the force is, you know, throw something across the room or, or sort of use it in this, you know, in a brute force kind of way. It's a pinch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I, I, I still have those moments. And that was, that was the cool thing about Star Wars is it gave you this, this you know, this, this force, this sort of mystical substance, this esoteric substance that binds and connects everything together and actually shows you how this can be abused. It can either be used for good or it can be used for evil. And I, I sort of always appreciated how that message was on the one hand, delivered in a very amber way, very, you know, there's good and there's evil and there's really, you know, not much in between. Those are kind of your binary choices. But at the same time, it was a, it was a much more modern way of holding the esoteric in a certain sense. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing it did for my generation too is, you know, now in 2018, when we have all this resistance to globalization and becoming, you know, sort, sort of that single, you know, one world government is, is a, a lot, you know, what a lot of people dread. 
And I think for, you know, particularly my generation who grew up with these, you know, intergalactic mythologies, I mean, globalism, you know, it still seems like a pretty quaint idea. And we're, we're sort of, <laughs> We're, like we're one ready. world, you're only worried about one planet. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're ready to, to, you know, sort of make it into the intergalactic slipstream in, in, in a certain kind of way. Um, so, Cindy, how do you see the, the, uh, the, the force and, you know, the, the actual spiritual potency of the Star Wars franchise, if you will, in culture? Oh, wow. That's an interesting thing. It's almost like a mirror because you will see who you are in it. So if you're at an amber stage of development or blue on the spiral, you're going to see good and evil playing out on the screen. And as you increase in complexity, you will see complexity in this storyline. So I think the story is quite brilliant in its ability to hold, I think, all the way up to integral perspectives while still speaking to the purple of children, the need for magic and wonder, and the need for good and evil and clarity and rules and order uh, of blue or amber. And to me, the most recent movie had the highest level of complexity of all of them. And I don't know, Corey, if you would agree with that, but I see a real move into second tier leadership kinds of conversations. Mm -hmm. And it reflects back what's happening in our larger world. The heroic leadership model is falling apart in the movie. And the admiral talking down to the flyboy, the uh, hero, what is his name? Poe. Uh, because of the P. Poe. Uh, Poe, uh, who's like always hot to blow things up, but gets a lot of people killed. He wins the battle, but loses the war. And the Admiral's perspective of, I'm not going to tell you my plan. You're not entitled to know my plan. You're not entitled to be the boss of everything. And by the way, it's not always about winning. Sometimes it's about surviving. Yes. And so her perspective, you know, yellow in Spiral Dynamics is a survival-based color. So that's the first of the second tier levels. And, and if I can just interject, Cindy, and the admiral, the admiral is played by Laura Dern. Who's awesome. Who's yeah, awesome. Great. With purple hair. And, and powerful with, and, and feminine and angelic and powerful, you know, and she kicks his guys. But it's really interesting. But yeah. go on. So I think we're seeing this huge complexity of what does leadership mean? And what should the goal be for the rebellion? So is this all about winning and defeating the bad guys? Or is it about surviving, reimagining ourselves in a much more um, androgynous way where there's female and male leadership coexisting? Um, and then being willing to walk into a future that is uncertain. What I like about this movie is it's not telling you the answer yet. It's right. not saying, here's where we're going. It's just saying the past is over. The future is about to be born. And that's kind of the final message at the end where Luke says the rebellion isn't over. It has been reborn. So what's coming next? You know, it kind of gives me goosebumps. Oh, I don't know. When's the next movie? <laughs> <laughs> Even I want to know what's going to come in the next movie. Yeah. Well, it seems, it seems clear to me, um, and Cindy, I'm wondering if you agree with this. It seems clear to me that, you know, in these, in these recent movies, particularly, you know, this last one, The Last Jedi, the Force 
is doing something different than it's done before. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I look at sort of the overarching, you know, mythology of, and and this is one of the things that makes Star Trek or Star I just did it. Star Wars so fascinating is, is the mythology, the lore, it goes so deep. And, you know, that's another way which it really shares a lot of common qualities with religion. It has a mystical core, which is the force. And then it's got this, you know, very elaborate mythology surrounding it. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it seems to me that when I look at the original trilogy, that was a story about how the dark side failed. It was the failures of the dark side. When I watched the prequel trilogy, that's a story about how the light side failed. Mm -hmm. Right. So we got a trilogy about both sides of this of this failure. And it seems to me that in this new trilogy, the force is sort of learning its lesson in a certain sense that as long as we maintain this binary good versus evil dichotomy, that's violence that turns into violence. Endless wars. Endless wars. Absolutely. So it, it seems to me that the force is actually self-organizing in a certain kind of sense into a much more balanced sort of yin-yang, you know, uh, harmonization of light and shadow, which to me is, is a far more compelling and, and, and really interesting because it really does, for the first time, the, the force itself is breaking through that amber, you know, uh, this versus that sort of orientation. And I, I find that fascinating in terms yes. of where that can go. Yes, I completely agree. And one of the most powerful moments for me, Corey, was when Ray was in training on the island with Luke and she's sitting and meditating. Cindy, let me just, Ray is the young female, female lead. The female and, lead. And she is off on an island with uh, Luke Skywalker, who's Mark Hamill. He's now old. He's the, maybe the last Jedi, and she's mm-hmm. training with him. She's been drawn to him. So she's been drawn to him through dreams and visions. She's found him, and now she is training with him in hopes of someone needs to show me my part, my part in all of this. So she is passively waiting to be shown, which is old school, right? Mm-hmm. So you go to the mentor, and the mentor explains it to you. She's doing her meditation under his instruction and starts to levitate and the rocks start to levitate. And then immediately the ground cracks and the dark side speaks to her. And Mark is terrified by this. Mark Hamill, Luke, is terrified by this. He says, you went immediately to the dark side. And then he starts to backpedal away from her because he's scared of her. Well, he's representing the old good versus evil way of looking at the force. Yep. Her take is the darkness has something to teach me. And so when she's on her own, she goes to this place on the island that she saw in her vision, which by the way, looks like human female parts and has a reverse birth moment of entering the birth canal and plunging into the womb, which is like this lake of amniotic fluid, pulling herself up on the shore and then seeing endless, not quite endless reflections of herself in a mirror. And she's gone to this womb to ask a core question for her, who are my parents? And the answer, when the mist clears and the mirror clears, is her own face. So this relinquishing of dependence upon our parents to tell us who we are, our mentors to tell us our path forward, and our avoidance of the dark side, but instead plunging into it, in order to integrate it, I think is what's so really brilliant about this movie. 
Oh, that was such a fantastic yeah, reading. Fantastic. Cindy. That was fantastic. And, and how, I mean, it is so rare that we actually get to see the sacred feminine represented in film, let alone science fiction, mm-hmm. the, the way they did in Star Wars. The only other example that I can think of is actually the first Star Trek movie, uh, Star Trek One. Uh, when, you know, Spock is going through those, you know, endless, basically he's going through the cosmic vagina, you know, yes. <laughs> and it was, it was, it was gorgeous. It was absolutely gorgeous. Cause you never see that represented in science fiction, which is all phallic rockets and, you know, male ambition and, you know, masculine sort of power and, and all that. So that awesome reading. I love that. Thank you. Well, and it's fascinating to me to hear of the, the you lay out how it's evolving. Cindy, and, and how we're moving uh, in understanding up the spiral uh, in terms of complexity and the integration of masculine and feminine and the integration of good and evil. And I guess that's intentional, right? I mean, did George Lucas know he was doing this? And did he know he was going to do this with 1977? Well, this is an interesting conversation, Jeff. Cindy and I, right before the call, we're actually talking about, we were talking about the Star Wars ring theory that I sent out to you guys. Mm-hmm. And just real briefly, what ring theory says, is, ring theory is basically uh, a, a, an archaic form of storytelling that was mostly used in oral traditions where basically the structure, it's, it's called ring composition, where basically the structure, it's very simple, is an A, B, C, C, B, A. So there's sort of a wind up and a wind down. And one of the things that defines this approach to myth making is that your sort of your denouement, your, your, the, the, the pinnacle of the storytelling doesn't happen at the end like we're used to in sort of the typical three act uh, storytelling, you know, framing devices that we use. The, 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 the main sort of, pinnacle of the story is right in the center and that's what we see in in the original trilogy and the prequels is that you know there actually is sort of an abc cba and there's a really great like eight page article on uh, starwarsringtheory.com that goes into this you know in a lot of depth and actually shows scene for scene how how you know uh, films from the uh, prequel trilogy or scenes from the prequel trilogy and scenes from the original trilogy line up uh, in some cases, it's in reverse order, which shows sort of this winding. And, but it's really fascinating. But the question is, did George Lucas intend this from the very beginning? And no, I absolutely don't think so. I think that this was sort of a work in progress. I think that when he came up with the first Star Wars movie, I mean, it was sort of a complete set in and of itself, right? I mean, I think he, because you don't know that this movie is going to be as wildly successful. I mean, everyone doubted it was going to be as successful as it was actually. I mean, uh, uh, when it was first launched, theaters didn't want to play it because they figured they were going to lose money on it. And then opening weekend, there's lines around the block and it became this, you know, cultural sort of milestone in in a lot of ways. So I think that is what, you know, then George Lucas started unpacking the original story into a, you know, basically a three act, you know, larger story. And then, you know, a couple decades passed between the original trilogy and then when he booted up the prequels again. And my sense is when he started thinking about the prequels, that's when he probably, my sense is he was using some sort of ring composition uh, as the deep structure of, of his storytelling. And I'm guessing he had that idea while he was basically envisioning the prequels. And, you know, it works pretty well. I think that, you know, sometimes in the prequels, sort of you can see some of the beams and struts and a lot of the writing I think doesn't really live up to sort of that, that um, elevated approach he was trying to take with, with the framing devices he was using. 
But yeah, my sense, my sense is Lucas was making it up as he went. Uh, but, it, you know, for one guy to be sort of the founder of this vision and to be able to hold multitudes in that mythology, I think is, you know, pretty damn impressive. And I would add that like any great story, great epic story, great literature, what works in it is when the story is writing itself Absolutely. the vehicle of its author. Yep. So when it, when it gets clunky is probably when the author was imposing his or her will, yep. uh, script writers, whatever, or yep. bad casting as we were talking about can yep. interfere with the vision. But what, calls to us is the mythic element that resonates with all of us, which is when the story is telling itself. That's right. Eros Mm -hmm. is guiding, spirit is guiding, and God is growing up. The force is growing up through this process while we are also growing up. And so it's a very resonant process. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're seeing that in this development, Cindy. Uh, very uh, much. I mean, a lot of what this is, this movie is very despairing of the future of democracy. Now, doesn't that just kind of sound like where we are? Is democracy going to survive? The entire Republic has basically been blasted to smithereens by the first order. So all the planets that house the primary funding, the primary believers, the solid core of democracy is gone. Yeah. What's coming next? Is it eternal fascism or is it something else? Yeah. So the new order is who's running the cosmos and that's the autocratic dictatorship, uh, evil. Um, and the, the rebels is, or the Jedi and Luke Skywalker and, and, and general Leah Ordana, and, uh, and they're dwindling and they're pretty much at a vanishing point. Uh, and then we'll see. I, they're, yep. they're it's you know going to likely be reborn and um but yes that that is absolutely resident mm-hmm. and um the rebels are basically terrorists but we identify with them so we call them freedom fighters <laughs> right <laughs> just like george washington would have been called a terrorist that's right right that's right no but that theme that that sort of that tension between you know authoritarianism and democracy i mean that's that's baked into the franchise from the from the very beginning and you know i think actually one of one of the most uh, one of my favorite lines that really i think nails that tension comes from the prequels when Amidala says, uh, so this is how democracy dies, not, uh, what does she say? Oh, I'm spacing as I'm saying it, but something, something, but through thunderous applause. It was the bureaucracy in the Senate approving something, I think, and she's like, you know, so this is how democracy dies. This is how dem- yeah, in other words, people will, you know, it's when authoritarian co- authoritarianism comes, there's not necessarily this massive resistance on behalf of the populace. In fact, they can sort of be, led, you know, by a Pied Piper into that ideology where you're actually looking for strength. You're looking, you're looking for uh, sort of a central authority to control every aspect of your life because you feel more secure that way. You that way. I take some heart in a great quote from Ray Bradbury, where he said, science fiction is not, does not predict the future. It prevents it. Yeah. I think it's great. And let's hope that that's the case yeah, here. Great. Amen. Uh, yeah. So, uh, if we look at um, the the also the, the sort of direct multicultural aspects of this movie, I'm really impressed. I got to say, I mean, these three leads: there's a black guy, there's a Hispanic guy, there's a white woman, 
And these are the three people who are moving it forward from here. And they're all terrific. But what is really impressive to me is this uh, Ray, this yeah. female uh, who, who appears that she's going to be a, 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 the next Jedi. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, I looked at her and, you know, if you think of a science fiction female, they're generally, you know, bodacious and bodylicious. And, and, and I see her as an actress. I looked her up on, on the Internet and she's a beautiful girl. But in the movie, she's tough. And she's, you know, it's not, this is not Wonder Woman. She's not wearing a bikini. She's wearing sweatshirts. And, I, and, and she's really smart. And there was some depth to her. And I'm, I'm really, like, loving this, this, uh, this Ray. Yeah, I, I, I love the self-rescuing princess. Yes. Amen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, of course, this integration of male and female. I mean, she's is tough and she does physical fights and all of this stuff. Uh, you know, if you think of the evolution of Princess Leia to General Leia, mm-hmm. uh, it's really much, very much um, reflected the growth and evolution of our culture. Yep. Well, and if you if you look at sort of the, you know, young Luke versus old Luke, you also yeah. get that, you know, really, which is one of the things that turned a lot of, I think, sort of the hardcore fan base off is that they grew up with this image of Luke Skywalker, the pure sort of savior, um, you know, who, who was able to, you know, save his father from the dark side and sort of resist his own temptation to the dark side and all that. And now we see old man cantankerous Luke Skywalker, who's not even, you know, engaging the force anymore. He's actually actively avoiding the force. And I think there was a, there was a lot of heartbreak uh, among the fan base seeing that, that progression. And I actually think that progression in a certain way was I mean, that's the point. So that's again, what speak- I loved about it. Absolutely. Well, again, speaking as a Gen Xer, you know, I grew up watching Luke Skywalker, this young man, you know, 18 years old when, when the films start. And I, and I say, you know, this is, this, is, this is my role model for sort of, you know, what's right in front of me. It's not going to be very long, be- you know, before I'm Luke Skywalker's age and I'm going to go on my own sort of hero's journey and all that stuff. So it becomes a very natural role model. And now watching you know, old Luke as a 40 year old, it's the exact same feeling. Like that is right around the corner for me. Right. So it's, 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 it's just as much of a role model for me today as it was for me when I was six years old and, you know, watching, you know, Luke at his peak. And now, now I'm watching Luke having to, you know, accept his own mortality. I'm watching him have to, you know, give his sort of final last hurrah before he's, absorbed into this esoteric unknown. Um, and I think that's, that's gorgeous. And, that's, and, and, and then that guy shows up again. This guy shows up. And I loved what they did with Yoda. Yes. So Yoda was not worried. The ghost Yoda was not worried. He was happy to see Luke again, kind of consoling him. You know, the, the young ones are supposed to be smarter and grow past us. That's their job. Mistakes are how we learn. And if you can't burn the Jedi temple down, I'll do it for you. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, I, I kill the Buddha. Kill the Buddha. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and I, I think that was the message for our generation again with Luke Skywalker. Kill the Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and also on the other side of the street with the evil character, if you will, Adam Driver yeah. uh, playing uh, Darth Vader's son or something grandson Grandson, okay uh a very sympathetic character totally 
in his own way. I mean, and again, this gets to that complexity and, and integration that yes. you were talking about, Sidney. What, what do you think of him? I, I love the way they're playing that character. And I think Adam Driver's doing a good job with it. I think it's a really hard role to play because everybody wants a clean bad guy. Yep. And he's not playing the clean bad guy. He's playing this confused, I want to be my grandpa, not the saved grandpa, but the grandpa who was Darth Vader and wearing the mask. And then his mentor tells him you're nothing but a child wearing a mask. And he finally, you know, takes the mask off, which was a great move. He's like, thank you. Thank you. I'm sick of the mask. So, you know, now we have to see his face and we can see all the nuance of his emotion. He chooses in this movie not to kill his mother. Although he chose to kill his father, he could not kill his mother. And I found that just like interesting watching his face and his trigger finger and he couldn't do it. Um, and he's drawn to Ray as the light side. And he wants mm -hmm. to like, you can sense this sort of want to be partner. He still wants to be this big bad guy, but some part of him doesn't. And mm -hmm. I think he's just doing a great job. Absolutely. I, I think Kylo Ren is, is one of the best additions to the Star Wars universe. In all, and who's all that, time. Corey? Kylo Ren. That's, oh, that's who we're talking about. That's his yeah, name. Yeah, that's right. Kylo Ren. Yeah. Uh, I, think he's, I think he's absolutely fantastic. I think he's an interesting character, too. You know, and going back to The Force Awakens, you know, we've, we've seen all these stories. You know, Luke will we'll talk about being tempted by the dark side. And that, that always seemed to be the way it went, was that these, you know, really good and noble and heroic characters were constantly being tempted by the dark side in various ways. And that was, you know, to Anakin Skywalker's downfall. Uh, but what was interesting about, about Kylo Ren was in The Force Awakens, he was being tempted by the light side. Mm -hmm. And we've never seen that before. So it's, it's interesting how, again, he and, he and Ray are on parallel, but sort of, you know, s symmetrical, but in a lot of ways, opposite tracks here, where they're both, you know, the integration of light and dark, of, of light and shadow is happening for both of them, but in different ways. Mm -hmm. But they're both sort of at the same place in, in that path each step of the way. And, you know, my sense is that, you know, there's, there's sort of this, right, that they, that they diverge and now, you know, they're sort of approaching a convergence, um, yeah. which I think is, again, interesting storytelling. And particularly when it comes to the Force, uh, of bringing this idea of the Force to, to a new level, to a, to a higher... A new integration. Yeah. Right. And he's hungering for power. She's hungering for something wiser, deeper, more compassionate, more integrative. Um, it's going to be interesting because the immature feminine often avoids power. Ray does not seem to have that issue. She will kick your butt. Yep. Um, the immature masculine often avoids tenderness. It will be interesting to see if they both mature as the That's story right. forward. Yep. Yep. And I think oh we're my seeing God, you that. two. You got me all worked up now. I can't wait <laughs> to see the next one. <laughs> <laughs> me neither me neither man <laughs> yeah. the next one is technically the han solo movie and i it, it feels like not a lot of people are excited about that in fact it's coming out in like three or four months oh really is this going to be the, the the ninth of the of the no so it's not in the so sort of like they did with this Rogue is a one. side this, side is, this is a side story and it's okay. a it's a prequel where we're going back and we're watching how han solo you know met chewbacca and we're probably going to see him do the the Kessel run and however many parsecs. And, you know, we're probably going to see all this sort of fan service uh, is a lot of people's sense with the Han Solo. Oh, movie. really? 
Yeah, so maybe not the complexity that we saw in this movie. And, yeah, who knows? I mean, maybe, you know, hopefully they'll do it right. A lot of people were concerned about Rogue One, and I walked away from Rogue One being like, that was a fantastic Star Wars movie. I loved that movie. I thought it was amazing. Yeah. Are because, there bad yeah. ones for you, for you two? Bad, bad Star Wars movies? Well, bad, I mean, I think the prequel movies are pretty objectively... Like, I, I still love them. I'm, I, I'm an easy lay when it comes to like, like I, you know, I enjoyed watching the Hobbit trilogy, even though it didn't compare to Lord of the Rings. I mean, I'm a completionist. I, I accept any opportunity to just go back into that world, whatever it takes. So I'll watch the prequels every time they're on. But, you know, I know better than to call them good movies. I mean, the, 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 the dialogue was terrible. The casting, other than... Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan, which I think was inspired. You know, it, it all feels very wooden and sort of hollow and mm -hmm. all that. But I'll still watch them every time they're on. And that's what actually impressed me about these. It, is it, you know, there are so many ways that these new movies could have gone really terribly wrong, especially since, you know, they're being sort of designed by committee in Disney now. They're not sort of under the stewardship of George Lucas which I think has its strengths and its weaknesses to it, that, that sort of model of, of storytelling. Um, but I think, you know, they're, they're, they're doing a good job so far. I'm, I'm happy. Yeah, I would agree. The three prequel movies are pretty weak, particularly the casting of Anakin. But Anakin the child I thought was good casting, but Anakin the adult uh, just ruined it for me. That was Hayden Christensen, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you, but you would, uh, you would put this last one, The Last Jedi, as, at, at uh, the top of the heap or near the top of the heap, I'm, I'm assuming both of you. Uh, hard to beat the episodes four, five, and six, which were the ones that came out in the 70s and 80s in terms of like the impact they had on me. But in okay. terms of advancing the story and really tapping into something important, I think this new movie is the best for me. Uh, mm. Yeah, mm. well, fantastic. Mm. Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's, you know, and just like for, for me, the other side of this too is, you know, just like I was six years old when my stepdad took me to see Return of the Jedi. I mean, I've got a five-year-old girl right now and having, you know, someone like Ray as, as my little girl's role model and knowing that, you know, she's still a little bit too young for Star Wars. It's still a little bit too violent and the dark side is a little too dark for her. But, you know, knowing that in a year or two, I'm going to be able to, you know, watch her go on this new journey. I mean, because look, guys, there's going to be a new Star Wars movie every year for the next 20 years, most likely, is, is what it looks like. I mean, Disney's already sizing up the next trilogy to come after this one. And this is, this is, this is going to go on for a long time. And I'm, again, easy lay over here. I'm totally good <laughs> with that. I will see every single one. But I'm really excited to be able to have a similar kind of experience with my daughter watching this that I did with, with, with my stepdad. And that is one, I think that the truly unbelievable things about this franchise is that it is probably, I can't think of a more multi-generational franchise than star Wars. So when I saw the, you know, the last Jedi, I, you know, I was going to, I went, I went with a friend of mine who lives upstairs who's in his sixties and we went there and, you know, I got to see grandpas going with their kids and their grandkids all together to see star Wars and all of them freaking loved it. You know, I, I, I seriously cannot think of many cultural phenomena at all that has that sort of binding, you know, intergenerational quality to it. And that's, that's awesome to see. Right on.
I agree. Well, thank you both so much. What an interesting discussion. Just what I wanted to is to just sort of feel this cultural and evolutionary power of this, uh, of this you know, work of art. And I am excited to see the next one. And I'm on board. I'm a star. I might get a Star Wars T-shirt. Yeah, baby. So, and I also want to have you both back to talk about Star Trek because I, oh, I know you're yeah. both Star Trekkies too, right? Yes. Yes. Long and prosper. Yes. And oh, <laughs> very good. And we can uh, compare the two. And um, it, yeah, it, there are interesting Star Trek movie coming up. Or there's a Star Trek show. Yeah, so there's a Star Trek show on right now, Star Trek Discovery, and it's on CBS All Access. It is, I, I'll just, it is the most beautiful season of television I've ever seen. I mean, it oh is God. absolutely gorgeous. It is rosy quality on every episode. It's an hour-long movie for every episode. It's amazing. Yep, absolutely. Really? And every episode gets better and better. This is, this is, I think, by far, you know, Star Trek has had a lot of terrible first seasons. In fact, all of them have been terrible first seasons other than the original series back in the 60s. It had a strong first season. Uh, Next Generation first series, I mean, you know, Next Generation, we loved a lot about its progressive multicultural values. And yet episode four was this like racist stinker of an episode. So, you know, it's not, it's, it's, it's got its flaws to it. This Star Trek, I think, is, is, is coming out of the gate so strong. And there's so many cool ways to enact it integrally. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that conversation. And, it's, you know, particularly the contrast with Star Wars, where one is more fantasy, one is more, you know, fiction, more, one is kind of more heart based one is more, one is, I, I would actually say Star Wars is more morality-based in a certain kind of way, and Star Trek is more ethics-based, which I think is an interesting comparison between them. But, yeah, I, I very much look forward to doing that show with you guys. Yeah. Thanks, Corey. Uh, what's the name of the show again, the Star, the Star Trek? Star Trek Discovery. Discovery, Okay. And then the movie we've been talking about is Star Wars, The Last Jedi. And Cindy, uh, if people are interested in your work in uh, uh, SQ21, uh, how would they find more about you? My website is deepchange.com. So that's fairly easy to find. And I'm findable on Facebook. And my book, of course, is SQ21, The 21 Skills of Spiritual Intelligence. So any of those resources. Any and all. Thank you, we do, for a wonderful time together. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Cindy. Thank you, Yoda. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye.